Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good evening, everyone. I think one more thing that could make this a perfect day is after midnight, it snows. And, you know, 65-degree weather today, snows tonight, melts the next day. It's Christmas Eve. You all look great, and everyone has come ready for celebration, to, to rejoice in this great night, and, and how this night has formed both our imagination as Christians and, and followers of Christ, but also our tradition. Some of you come this night because of that call to tradition. This is Christ Mass. This is the meal that Christians all over the world celebrate on Christmas Eve to remember the birth of Jesus For some of us, we're here to worship. This is a holy night. This means something deep and central to our core as followers of Jesus. And yet, there are those of us in this room, maybe tonight, you're hoping that this night will speak into your life, whether it is fear, sadness, loneliness, or even desperation. Regardless, we're glad that you're here. Let's pray as we look at God's word tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for this chance to hear your gospel stories of how you came to us in an amazing and miraculous way, and yet also in humility. And regardless of what brings us this night, regardless of where our hearts are, I pray that you would help, help us to worship the true king, the one born in Bethlehem. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. First question for us to consider tonight is, does God speak to us? I think it is a question that we all ask. Is God speaking to us today? Has he spoken and is he still speaking? The writer to the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In these last days, he has spoken to us through the Son. God spoke, as the writer says, through the prophets, and there were many. There's Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Amos and Obadiah, Habakkuk, and so forth. He spoke through these prophets, and they did not fully and clearly understand the message that they were given, but they were faithful in their day to speak it. But, the writer says, in these last days, and since the birth of Jesus, God spoke, has spoken, and is still speaking to us, often in a still small voice. And what he's saying is of tremendous significance, and it frames our time tonight in the Word. God has spoken to us by His Son. I like to say this every year at this time, whether I'm preaching on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, 
I like to say it this way. Without the incarnation of Jesus, if this didn't happen, all talk about God, all theology, all philosophy is purely speculative. It is your opinion versus the person standing beside you's opinion. But because of the incarnation, because God became man, Christ was born in Bethlehem, our thoughts about God are no longer speculative, but they are the basis of our faith. A few weeks ago, I spent, it's with, you know, seven of us in our family, it's like an arm and a leg, $100,000 to go to a movie. Um, <laughs> you know, we didn't go uh, during the day either, which is a classic mistake. Um, but we went and saw Mr. Roger neighborhood, and I cried through half of the movie. And it was not a kid movie. I mean, it certainly was kid-friendly, but it was not primarily a just happy little story about nice things. It was the story of a man who exemplified kindness and humility, who spoke of hope and goodness. And his power and his legacy are profound and still even felt today. The gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and Mark, all record snippets or little scenes of Jesus' birth and the story of his early days, all sorts of glimpses into this setting. But the gospel writer, John, who we're going to consider tonight, is less interested in the details, shepherds and mangers and angels, and more into the significance of this event. Listen to what he says again in the gospel reading, verse 14. The word became flesh. The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Why is Christ called the Word? All over the scriptures, we see this dynamic relationship between God and his creation. This relationship, the creator and the created. And to the Jewish readers, and of course to John's readers, they knew the power of the Word of God. This phrase, the Word of God, was not just a text. It was a reality. The Son, Jesus, who we worship tonight and all Sundays and all gatherings, is called the Word. And the Son, Jesus, is the agent of creation. That's the power of God's Word. Listen to some passages. In Genesis chapter 1, the Lord God spoke and everything was created. Everything that exists today was created by the word of God. In Isaiah 55, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the either, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. In Psalm 107, the psalmist says, They, 
then cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and they were healed. And he delivered them from their destructions. Even in the New Testament, the writer again in Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. Or one translation says, It is alive and powerful. Here's the link. The word of God was the power of God. The Hebrew word memra means to say. The word was personal. It was interactive. And it was alive. You see, it takes that kind of communication to understand the power and the glory of God. He reveals himself in language. I took a communications class in college and my professor said 95% of communication is nonverbal. And that's true. But that 5% of spoken communication or sign language or any way to form words and meaning is a very, very powerful communication. God spoke and revealed himself through his word. And the word is the Son. The word is personal and alive. God spoke and revealed himself. And as he spoke, this word, the word of God, became worthy of worship and praise as God. John says earlier that indeed the word was with God and the word was God. Now you might ask, why the theology lesson We have ham cooking and presents to open. Raise your hand if you are a good person and open your presents on Christmas Day. Yes, yeah. Raise your hand if you're a cheater and you open tonight. Yes, I'm a cheater. We opened our presents. This is so crucial for me to explain that I don't want you to miss it. Notice John didn't start out by saying, God took on humanity. It would have emptied the power and the connection to this mystery that the word is the power and the glory of God. God didn't put on a human suit like my children put on a human costume every October 31st. For this would have meant a simple changing of roles. God would switch seats, one day divine and the next day human. By using the language of the word... John carefully expresses the reality that Jesus was fully and completely the one true God. The Father who sent Jesus is also the one true God. God sent God. And believe it or not, there is no confusion to this. John called Jesus the Word to help us see this. He says this way, the word of God became flesh, a breathing, living person, Jesus. He puts it, John does very, very bluntly. This is not elaborate language. In the lowest possible expression to intentionally see for us the beauty of this event, the deity of the word and the genuineness, the fullness The complete authenticity of his humanity are joined in one person, this baby 
born in Bethlehem. And God and man, these two natures, creator and created, come together in this one person, Jesus. And why do I go to this trouble tonight? Because this, friends, is the heart of salvation. It is the heart of the Christian faith. And without any malice or ill will towards other religions or adherence of it, with all due respect, this is the most important message the world can hear. The very word of God took flesh on for our salvation. Friends, there is nothing better than I can tell you tonight. Nothing better in your lifetime than this. There's no greater truth. There's no greater story. There's no greater sentiment. God the Son became flesh to save us in perfect and beautiful divinity and humanity joined together in the person of Jesus Christ. And whatever he didn't take on is not right. If he wasn't divine, he couldn't save us. And if he wasn't fully human, he's not a perfect sacrifice for our sins. God became man to save us. But listen, this word, its power, its communication, the interactive movement of God became flesh. And something even more amazing one happened. The sent one didn't just wrap himself into humanity like a costume. The word became a living, breathing person like you and I. This baby was a real human baby. At the same time, divine. Let's keep something in mind. For eternity prior, God has existed as a spirit. But on this night, 2,000 years ago, God now was both human and divine together. And this is what's fascinating about this night. Humanity has worshipped kings for thousands of years. But on this night... Worship happened like no other king had ever been worshipped before on this beautiful holy night. And it says in the scriptures that we heard read, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And verse 13 says, suddenly a great company. The word there is fascinating It's assembly, it's band, it's multitude, it's army of heavenly hosts birthed forth in worship with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. So this word of God that you gather to worship, his power, his communication became one of us and that is why we gather We gather to be renewed that God became man 
And we got, gather to celebrate that God our Father has spoken to us. And here's what he's saying. You are not alone. You are not alone. I understand you. I know everything that you're going to go through. I know what it means to fear, what it means to be rejected, what it means to be betrayed, what it means to die. I know everything in your condition, and you are not alone. The best philosophy or man-made religion can give us a little hope, perhaps, for this world. Maybe 50, 60, 70 years. Go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. But the incarnation tells us something definitively. Christ was made man that we might be made God. That there is hope for us in this world and the world to come. In 1843, a famous secular skeptic and poet named um, Capot was commissioned by a local parish priest to write a hymn in commemoration of their new organ. And I think the parish priest probably thought, I'm going to involve this guy in matters religious, hoping that this will have a positive impact on him. We've been known to do that from time to time <laughs> as clergy. Um, it is possibly one of the most endearing hymns of the Christmas season. We'll sing it shortly. I, re I sang it recently even at a church in India. Here's one of the lines. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. This third line of the second stanza, has always, second stanza has always captured my heart, no matter who sings this song or even the time of year. Even tonight, I went through different singers, judging which one is best. I love this song. I listen to it every year on this night. It's fascinating that a person far from the Christian faith wrote this as an expressed heart of us all. Listen to this word, this phrase. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. Humanity has forever suffered from its own brutality, for sin has overcome even the most well-intentioned of persons. And the sin and error of this world is latent in all humanity, and it turns even the brightest idealist of us into the deepest skeptic. We have so many, many problems in this world. So much pain, and our days can be easily marked by pining or waiting for something or someone to come and save us and change us and rescues us, rescue us. The world keeps waiting 
but Christ appeared. The word became flesh. If you want to know what God thinks, you look at the Son. If you want to know what God values, you look at the word. If you want to know how God feels, you listen to Jesus. Before we jump into the Son as he grows up, we must first be moved by the scene of his birth. Those who rejoiced at his birth would most likely be the ones we call outcasts and criminals today. His taking on our flesh wasn't just hope for nice people with dashed dreams. His birth represents hope for all mankind, for everyone and for you and for me. So I'd like to close with just a couple of thoughts. What does this mean for us tonight? We started in the season of Advent here at Church of the Redeemer the work of confession, personal one-to-one confession with an ordained pastor, what we in the Anglican tradition call a priest. I think almost 30 people made personal one-on-one confessions this Advent. We did not force anyone. We did not bribe anyone. We promised no gift afterwards. We don't compel people to bear their burdens and their sins. Why do you think most people did it? Because as much as we know psychologically and spiritually that we're broken people and that we live in a broken world, we need another person, flesh and blood, voice and touch, declaring to us the grace of God. We are very well aware of our sin, but we also need to be assured that we are forgiven. The word became flesh and came to us to say this great truth. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, will live. Secondly, those who heard the birth fell on their knees. They were astonished and amazed at the grace of God. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us and to purify us for himself, a people that we are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God has appeared, and we see it in the Son. And lastly, we gather tonight with the whole church around the world I'm in a WhatsApp group, which is an app that most of us don't know here in the U.S., but most of the world uses. It's like instant messenger for everyone else outside of the U.S. And on this instant app, I got yesterday a message from a person in Sydney, Australia, to say, Merry Christmas. And then came Indonesia, and then came Pakistan. And then came Africa and Europe, and now we are here. 
we gather and we worship in our hearts and we say with our mouths and we sing with our lips with nearly two and a half billion people around the world. One out of every three people that live on earth are in a place like this tonight, that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. And what we say is the highest and the greatest message in this world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge tonight our great desperation before you. We even confess our own apathy. Maybe we just are sitting here and we don't care. We're all dressed up and we don't understand. Or maybe tonight we're here and we are deeply wounded. Or maybe tonight, because of this baby born in Bethlehem, we are rejoicing in our hearts that there is hope in this world and that you have come to us. The grace of God has come and appeared to us. I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would cleanse us, and that this night anew we may worship you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and exalt the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.